By the way, do you have any favorite conferences? You attended a lot of them, right? Uh, which one are your favorites to attend in recent years? Of course, uh, the one you present, <laughs> right? So, good yes. answer. Good answer. Yeah. Top notch. <laughs> but but you've been to uh, Nordic Data Science and Machine Learning Summit. You've been to uh, I get Data Data Animation Summit, right? Uh, what else? Uh, um, the other one, like in London, I think I'm so bad with names, mm. and also uh, any academic conferences or have you? Uh, yes and no. I was in the R community, yeah. so I went to R conference, right. so Toulouse, uh, and in Toulouse. It, yes, oh, nice. uh, I would say it's really different focus and different topic. Mm. So I would say innovation or Nordic Summit is more focused on business value generation and see the, from the big picture how you actually integrate the tech or machine learning into the business to make it evolution. Mm -hmm. But for our conference, I would say people more focus on which technique will be more accurate for what purpose right. and do this uh, research. Both are nice, but um, it's just a different direction. Yeah. I guess it depends on the interest you have for attending it. But but if you take like the, the Nordic Data Science and Machine Learning Summit or Innovation Summit, what of all the talks you have listened to, what makes you think that a certain talk is a good one or a bad one? Is it something that really stands out you know, for you to, to say, ah, I really love this talk? I would say I love the, uh, if the talk will stand out for me, either I hate it so much or I <laughs> love it so much. Oh, we have to do that. We have yeah. to make people hate us on stage. Or so, so it's uh, more about inspiration and different perspective. And also, uh, as I mentioned, um, I think a lot of uh, speakers also think about this, what mm. they want to express, what they want to share the experience about, why mm. they they are sort of, I can feel when they talk, they are intention. Yeah. If they want, just want to show off, I can feel. Right. Uh, then like I, it's not. speech on stage. No. Sure, that's, but yeah. uh, if they actually share something and passion about something, you... So you it's, a, it's not only about the content, it's also about the delivery, you would say? Yes. In, yeah. yes. And what you're talking about in here is that these person has a deep meaning that he wants, he wants to really, uh, you know, whatever it is, I have a, I think the world looks like this. So I think this is really good. And I want you to understand this. Yeah. So therefore I'm talking, I'm, I'm talking about all this, but you, but he's trying to convey a deeper meaning. Yes. Is that something? Yes. Else? I can give two examples. One is closer, yeah. uh, arrow clear master. Yeah. Uh, um, and at the beginning, I don't know why he explained like have the so good presentation and uh, in the late time he was my boss mm -hmm. he told me he wanted to change the word change and the word for for better change the world yeah. The world yeah, yeah. World. yeah, yeah. World okay for better. yeah awesome so um i think that is the behind intention the other one is simon sanic yeah. Uh, he is a sort of leadership, uh, yeah. uh, really why? good. Why? Start with why. Yes. So I, I learned a lot from him. And he do have the passion to inspire people. Mm. So when he speak, then everything go natural and you got effect. Yeah, you, you get affected. Yeah. I mean, f for me, it's also, you know, listening to someone without them having a passion is, even if the content is, is awesome, it can really destroy the whole talk if you just stand and 
and I'm going to do this. And I mean, it's really horrible sometimes when you hear someone that has an awesome content and they can't deliver the speech, right? Yeah. You get yeah. frustrated. Yeah, yeah. And, but <laughs> the, and, and, and I think this is really, this is really important, but sometimes if, even if you have passion, but you have a bad day, you're tired or something mm. like that. And, it, and unfortunately it really affects so, I mean, like we talk about this, or I talk about this with Goran, where's the energy? We yeah. talk, we use that word a lot. So, okay, where's the energy, man? You know, and, and it's all about this. So the passion, the energy, the enthusiasm, the anger, you know, whatever emotion <laughs> you need to convey, you need to have that with you. And on sometimes, I think we all have it, we have it, but we can't, the whole energy is not there in order to, to express the full emotion. I think that the um, the worst example and the best example in some way is could be Steve Jobs. Mm. He has an awesome delivery of the speech. I hate the content because <laughs> I, I don't like Apple. I like That's Apple. <laughs> we can talk about this and figure about this. Yeah, I'm an Apple. But you have an yeah, Apple, Apple phone. You I know a, you Apple. have an Apple phone now, Anders. I know. Can you please shut up? <laughs> 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 no, Apple do great products. So uh, it's just my my subjective view of them, but. But sometimes, you know, he plays around with statistics in a way that is not very scientific. And um, that that really makes my heart ache in some way. <laughs> Have you listened or seen any of Steve Jobs? Yeah, talks? I think uh, that is must be if you want to improve your <laughs> speech. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, uh, a lot. Uh, I, I agree with you. But uh, he he he's a more playful for the statistic. Try mm. to use some trick, let people memory things. It's Maybe. part of mar he's using is purely part of marketing to make to put the message there. Yeah, not yeah. very scientific. Maybe. Yeah, he's storytelling. Yeah, he's storytelling. Like, he yeah. doesn't really care about the scientific part. He's storytelling. And it, I think it works for his objective. By the way, I, mean, I remember I went to some kind of uh, course or some kind of lecture about you know how how to deliver a speech, and they spoke about the best speakers of all time. And I was very surprised to hear what he said was the best speaker of all time. So have you heard about this? Or I don't know this particular one with no. Dale Carnegie and all them. That's always no, no. been a classic. Apparently Charlie Chaplin. Oh. Mm -hmm. you know, do you remember Charlie Chaplin from the days, you know, the black and white movies? Yes, and, yes. and he's miming and he's not yeah. saying anything. Yeah, yeah, the silence movie. Yeah. But apparently he's one of the best in the world in delivering a speech. And there is a speech called, uh, whatever it was, uh, the great, the great dictator, I think. Yeah, if you, yeah, could you search for it? Yeah, yeah. Great dictator, I think. Yeah, it's part of. This is exactly from a movie, I think. Is it? No, I, I think it's it's a proper speech that he gives. Um, yeah. 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 Is there? yeah. So it, um, it it is a speech that he's delivering in the movie, actually. If it's this one, uh, it, is it in the movie? I don't. Yeah, maybe. sure. Um, but that you really learn in the beginning, it's so quiet, you know, it's very calm. And then it's just rising, rising, rising. And in the end, it's such a strong delivery. It's like crazy. So, you know, it's about Hitler and, and whatnot. But yeah, if you really want to see an amazing speech, I would recommend someone to, to look this up. Yeah. Uh, the other topic maybe related to this is about voice coach, uh, also right. from like YouTube. Yeah. Uh, when you change the peak, your style, your tone, it can sound totally different. Have, have, ever, have you ever used a voice coach? Have you had the opportunity to, in some reason, do you know a voice coach? Because I do. I can give you a okay. story on that. Do you have someone? 
Uh, I only use YouTube. <laughs> you use YouTube. <laughs> yeah, a, please. No, but I, I I remember this is a long, long time ago. I was the moderator for the sales conference. So the sales conference is is a very nice conference. It still goes, and uh, you know at this point in time I was the I was the moderator conf, uh, for the sales conference, and we were at. Uh, What's the conference? The, the nice venue out in next to Skansen. I use I'm brain dead. Circus. Circus, of course. So we were at Circus, and I was the moderator, and then we, we were super professional, really professional show. And then we know a, 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 fr- a friend in the network, Per Furmo. Shout out to Per Furmo. So he's a professional uh, voice coach, among other things. And we was we were in the office. And I, I had my speech and, you know, like the conference in the opening keynote sort of, or the opening 10 minutes to sort of set the scene for the conference. And we worked with all these different things up and down, slow pauses. I mean, like you, you can think of it all, right? So how you really use your voice to go faster, to go slower, to go higher, to go lower and to pause and in order to emphasize and then what word to emphasize in this sentence? You, you're, you're, down, you're, you're breaking it down then to words. So it's tricky. My style is very much, I, I like to have key points and then speak from my heart. But if you want to go down to this level, you actually need to have a manuscript. Yeah. And when it comes to coach, I haven't taken a voice coach, but actually taken a, like a, a singing coach. Oh, no. <laughs> so what kind of? Uh, that was Magnus Carlson, Gamla uh, Stan. No, but I actually, you know, I forced myself to go up on karaoke stage a couple of times okay. for a specific reason, which is to actually improve my, um, you know, speaking oh. performance. Oh, okay, nice. I actually think singing is a great way to improve your way you speak. Cool. You have to go to China to try the karaoke. Yeah, yeah, but we had karaoke in Sweden and Stockholm as well. It's 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 far behind. <laughs> okay, I, okay, I okay. no, no, <laughs> you are Celine, Before you go deeper down that rabbit hole, this was a challenge, by the yeah, way. Yeah, this is a challenge, Celine, because Anders is. Um, uh, you are a karaoke fan. I am, but you I sing are, hor- you're a, you're I an outspoken karaoke fan. I am, but I sing horribly still. Yeah, yeah that's. I tried thing. the singing coach, but it didn't help. So yeah. I still sing horribly. So mm, there are different courses from Udemy. I highly recommend. I, ah, really? I actually <laughs> <laughs> bought them. You bought them. You, you bought them. Yeah, yeah. I want to learn how to sing jazz. And, oh. Uh, oh. Yeah, so. I'm looking cool. forward to the after after work. Now we have to yeah, yeah. try out I'll, your singing skills. We will, we will. We will try this <laughs> for sure. Awesome. Very welcome here, Celine Chu, lead data scientist at H and M. Thank you. And yep. um, a colleague in going to a lot of conferences and whatnot uh, that we've seen over the years. A speaker at conferences and what. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you. It's yeah. my honor. So should we start with just, you know, who who is Celine Chu? How would you describe yourself? So could I just say I'm an, I was just an um, a love immigrant. So yeah. for the marriage, I came to Sweden. Oh, uh, yeah. Now I want to be uh, the bridge between data and uh, decision making. Right. And yes. hope in future, and I can be the most uh, fashion knowledge people in mm. uh, machine learning and yeah. most knowledge of machine learning people in fashion. 
That's I like, awesome. But the way you Wait, said that, the, the most fashion knowledgeable in machine learning and the most machine learning knowledgeable in fashion. Yeah. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful <laughs> statement. We should have a t-shirt for that yeah, as well. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, that is a good t-shirt. And now if we're going to do that t-shirt, we need Celine to design it because oh, it's, yeah. it needs to be very fashionable. Do you design clothes as well? or mm, For my doll when I was seven. <laughs> for your doll, yeah. Doll, yeah. <laughs> but cool. But speaking a bit from the beginning, beginning, uh, can you speak a bit about how your you know career got started, perhaps education-wise, or how you like? Yeah, to in my past recent past uh, eight years uh, in Sweden, I focused on machine learning and uh, advanced analytics, mm -hmm. and I was in consulting firm and then was in industry. My focus areas was. Um, Recommendation engine, time series oh. prediction, and the Tron analytics. All right. What kind of recommender engines were you using? I'm, I'm going a bit techy here directly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, Item-based collaborative filtering right. add a lot of awesome. a business rule. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And added with business rules on, on top of that? Yeah, or? yeah, a lot. And if you were to just describe, what is item-based collaborative filtering? Okay, it's challenge. In a simple word is... Uh, if you buy um, product A and according to the other person by product A, the other person probably more intend to buy product B and I give the um, prediction you probably also will buy product B. Very good. I love it. So perfect description, I think. And I guess it, it contrasts to content-based, you know, that you only look at what kind of similar clothes or trousers. Uh, so instead of looking at the content, you look at what other similar people to you have bought and then recommend that. And so, yeah. Cool stuff. Um, any specific techniques? Sorry, I love the recommender engine topic. <laughs> what do you mean by specific technique? Uh, some technique for the collaborative filtering, like ALS stuff, or do you use some? You mean the packages? Uh, no, some algorithm that you use to actually build the collaborative filtering recommender system. Yeah, right. yeah, I got you. So uh, unfortunately, the, the machine I was using is quite basic. Mm -hmm. So it's a uh, compute uh, Intense. So we actually use the statistic, um, huh. <laughs> and also we tried a different uh, option actually, but it turned out the most uh, basic one uh, have the good performance. But that's and a good thing, right? When yeah. when the simple one actually works the best. Yeah, uh, I think it's due to we don't have that much uh, data because we were in fashion. It's not in banking, so I think that still works. But mm. I. I doubt if have bigger. Mm, more data than Yeah. However, I know a lot of people use two more uh, uh, sort of mm, trick on, mm. on top of it. One is you cluster uh, either customer or cluster the product at the beginning to shrink right. the data set. But that one is quite biased, we, we, we tried. Mm. Uh, the second one is neural network. You actually do mm, uh, mapping. Mm -hmm. It also depends on how you choose the feature to mapping. It's mm -hmm. also biased. So I don't know the, the right or wrong way, yeah. but um, we try to, in the end, we not only have the uh, sort of uh, evaluation for accuracy, because I believe for uh, people, if you want recommendation, you don't want people recommend you something you already know. 
you want some familiarity, but some novelty. So we try to balance both, and actually, simple model naturally <laughs> did that way. So I don't know why. So yeah, if it's too smart, you don't get the novelty. Yeah, yeah, I would say, and also it's really restrict the、uh, item you recommend、mm. because this normally have this tendency to recommend already popular product.、Mm. So those long tail product, which you actually more have the urge to recommend, you、right. lost them.、Right. And what year was this approximately when you worked with recommender systems? Sorry, what? Which year was this?、Uh, two years ago,、oh, for、okay. five, three years, I would say. Oh, and was this、one. for H and M or was it for、uh, for、no? Axel Johnson? Axel Johnson, yeah, yeah awesome. Yeah. And perhaps you can just describe what does Axel Johnson do for people that、yeah. don't know it. Okay, Axel Johnson is a really great group held by family.、Mm. Uh, we have、uh, seven different groups,、uh, including、uh, Orleans, Kicks, Martin Severa, Dusting, and we also have、mm. our、uh, investment branch called、uh, Novex. Novex, yeah. So it's a super huge. Organization, yeah, that, right? and they really believe in sustainability. I was、mm-hmm. really surprised. Right, but so, sorry for for backing up the table a little bit because before you you were starting your data scientist career and you know what you've really been growing and, and where we know you. Um, you you were in private equity before,、yeah. but that was before Sweden, right? Yeah, before Sweden, I was in London and Hong Kong. Can't we go there? Because I want to. I want to later on today talk about the, tonight. Talk about the, the the whole thing of bridging business and and tech and data science. So a little bit about the private equity part. Uh, yes,、um, I would say in、uh, in London, I got my first、uh, sort of internship after my MBA to this private equity firm. We only do development fund and mezzanine fund, and we focus on real estate、uh, industry. So, so what is private equity? What what do you do? I mean, if you're not in this part of the industry, how, how would you explain it to me who is not, you know, part of this? So, put simple word, we're salespeople.、Um, we sell the concept to investment,、uh, investment opportunity. Yeah, opportunity to investor,、mm-hmm. and we sell the product to the.、Uh, so the, the product is essentially you find a great investment for someone to invest in. Yeah, I would say it's more about matching. Matching.、Ah. Yes, because it's always about risk and rewarding and the preference.、Mm. And you need to understand what the investor want and what risk level they can tolerance. At the same time, know the market who could be the candidate. There, yeah. So it's matchmaking between someone who wants money and someone who has money to invest. It's like Tinder for investors. Tinder's, you know, private equity is Tinder for for money. Yes,、uh, <laughs> they also have some kind of limitation because、uh, you cannot like they have some entrant level um, uh, um, sort of gate、um, guy guy, which、yeah. is if you don't have enough equity, you cannot join.、No. And for each deal, you have limited seat. For for yeah, so so private equity like this, you know, it's you need to be at a certain level in terms of how much you have to play, you know, to be、yep. part of the game, on the one hand side, and then on the other side, how many seats are there at the table of a certain investment? Yes, yeah, 
So that that becomes very interesting because then you, it's about matchmaking. Is is it a large community? Would say if you if you talk about London or is it very is it? Yeah, London. I would say is uh, beside you. Uh, US is the biggest, the biggest uh, private equity. Yeah. Community, yeah. as and, I know, and Hong Kong compared to London, uh, much smaller, much I would smaller. say, and uh, have different uh, dimension. For yeah. Asia, mm-hmm. funds we more looking to high growth, more tech fund. So in London, we are looking to the real estates. Okay, so it's it's totally direct, uh, different direction. Yeah, and, and and the type of investment was it mainly now in London real estate oriented? Uh, no, in funds? my company is in your, your company, yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. Okay. it's really depend on which company or which industry your company uh, focuses. Yes, clear. And you mentioned you took an M- MBA, and that was in London, right? Yes. Yeah, but you also have some other degrees, don't you? Uh, yes, <laughs> I have um, uh, one uh, marketing master degree, one international trading master degree, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, bachelor degree in mathematics. And mathematics as well. Yeah. So super cool, like math, and then marketing, and then MBA, and then to top it off, going towards data science, yeah, programming. <laughs> yeah? Yes. And actually, we, we 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 know because you told us before about. You know, programming was not your favorite at school. But no. w- in what areas were you you doing C and C plus plus? Where were you doing that? In what part of your college? University? College, even, uh, right? and it's university. So bachelor, it's a your ma- yeah, bachelor master math, bachelor, yeah. bachelor math. You had C and C plus plus. Yes, and, and that was your least favorite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At that point, I, you, I can't. I can't understand why the for loop you need to actually add an initiator first. Why is so <laughs> stupid? Why I still need to see? You need to exit in some point. I think that's a good reflection. Uh, it's <laughs> the people that designed the language that was stupid, and, oh, and we no. are right. Sorry, so, so I, I don't want to no, offend no. anyone. We, 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 if we want to go there, I, I don't think we're going to have time. But we can go down the rabbit hole. What is their favorite languages, and what is a beautiful language? We've had that people French. Uh, no, Python, <laughs> Python. Good answer. <laughs> Good answer. Kill that one. Mm. Cool. So you worked at Axel Johnson for some time, and uh, then you got in touch with H&M somehow, right? Or how did that yeah. happen? Um, I would say thanks to Headhunter. Oh, okay. uh, and also, I would say uh, I was attracted by the vision from RT and Arrow. Mm. Uh, and also not did only- Did you meet Arrow before? Joining or uh, videoly, yes, we're oh. in Corona time. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, and uh, yeah, I would say two specific things. Uh, one is uh, Arrow mentioned. Uh, he know um, uh, HM is a traditional company, mm. but he want to install engineering culture mm. in HM, right. and I feel like it's really brave, and yeah. uh, not so many people will think in that way. And perhaps we need to <coughs> let people know that H&M is a really old company as well, right? C- can you give some, how would you describe what H- H&M is? It's really big company, have really the big. roots for uh, global-wise, and we're really focused on to bring the fashion uh, back to normal people. Mm. And uh, we really like the young people. Right. Um, Do you have any numbers how big it is? Remember, 
Oh, you test my memory. Sorry, I, I I couldn't see, and I I don't want to see wrong things. I mean, it's hundreds of thousands of employees and thousands of stores across the world, right? So yes. it's a really big. And we have seventy、uh, five different countries for、yeah. the market. Yeah, but I, I I can I can be the idiot and say the wrong things here because、mm-hmm. I heard some statistics around H and M that okay, you can define H and M who is employed by H and M directly. Then, then it's a company with about a hundred thousand. But if you look at the value chain from the factory to the consumer that is involved, is about a million. Yes. So, so who is affected by the success of or get their money from H and M sales is about a million people. Yeah. That is a huge number, by so, the way. It's a big company. But so we we are talking about sub suppliers of factories of clothing, of course, and stuff like this. Not only the money.、Uh, no, I would say people's everyday life affected by.、Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. No. But, but what I'm, what I was trying to highlight how this company, which has,、uh, I think, is a fantastic company, but it, actually, you need to, in this particular case, you really need to understand the value chain. Yeah,、mm-hmm. but you're talking about indirect employee. Yeah. Yeah.、Okay. Exactly. Exactly like this. Cool. So you met them and was headhunted there, and you had some meetings with Arola, etc. What was it that attracted you to H and M then?、Um, I would say some vision,、uh, and also one the other thing is about leadership.、Uh, I、mm. would say the、uh, I still remember when、uh, Arol talking to me, and、uh, he was asking, "What do you want to do?" It's like is that relevant? <laughs> <laughs> so so normally、uh, when I was in the interview, people will more、um, care or more focus on what I can deliver、mm-hmm. and what I already have instead of、um, what I can develop into. So I would say that part I I really value and、uh, mm. really did you answer to the question? What did I you said, answer?、Yeah. I hate code. <laughs> you did right. You did yeah, right. I said. I said.、Um, and、uh, to Errol. Yes, and I, I because、uh, the first one,、uh, the headhunt, I, I didn't plan to leave、uh, Excelsior at the beginning, so I was just try to be frank. With you were、everything. cool. You were just being super cool. <laughs> I love it.、Um, and、uh, um, Errol saying like he see the other side of my potential, and、uh, even without coding. Uh, there are also a lot of、um, sort of impact I can make from、uh, data scientists. But the, now park this question now because I want to explore what is a data scientist and all the facets from the business to the coder and all in between. So、mm. let's park this because I think you are nailing something here that there is more than code to data science. Yeah. Okay. No, do you want to take that now?、Or? Should we take it now? Oh, we could go there now. Yeah, go there. Okay, go down a rabbit hole. I like it.、Yeah. So now, for for the producer, we have a rabbit hole for ten minutes. <laughs> It's called "What is the facets of data science, or what do we need to succeed with data science?" So let me frame it. Sorry for the joke. So I think it's an important topic. You know, how do we understand、uh, what goes into being great at data science、mm-hmm. in terms of from business acumen to coding? And and how do you see the different facets? Meaning potentially that we need to have different flavors of people working together to to really be the unicorn data scientist. Yeah. Do you see the topic? Yes.、Uh, Please. I I see the common、um, thing, and I also say it depends. It really depends on job description from different company.、Mm. Um, and the common thing is I I I 
Remember, there's someone says、um, data scientist is built to learn, and the data engineer is learn to build. I think it's sort of summary really right. Okay, so, say slowly, build, build to learn, which means the natural of the data scientist is exploration. You don't really know the road, and maybe there are no right wrong answer, but you keep trying to explore and try to find the. Right way, or try to find the most logic understanding about the data, and I think that is the most all the data scientists doing. And what, and go from the other angle now.、Uh, data engineer. Learn to build data、yeah. engineer.、Uh, data engineer is really effective for uh, execute uh, if they have the blueprint. And、um, for example, if you have the right model, the data engineer can make it more efficient in JavaScript uh, and um, understand dependency, the、uh, tag, that. And if I, if we do a nuance now, we, if we say data engineer on one data scientist. Uh, are we referring to a machine learning engineer in a different way, or is that more towards the data engineering、mm, side? I my maybe my my description is not one hundred accurate, but in H and M we did have a, like different engineer. We have machine learning engineer, we have DevOps engineer, we have、um, data engineer, and normally when we talk about data engineer, is more about the database,、um, which means they、uh, do the eat. Extract transformation and inject the data. Also, to understand which system have more query,、uh, sort of how to make the query more effectively in certain system. That is the data engineer, and also they need to understand a little bit like、uh, infrastructure, how to support it. And、uh, the machine learning engineer is more about you have to understand the hyperparameter、uh, in the、uh, certain model and how to. Tuning them, feature engineering. Yes, and about、uh, feature engineering. Yes, and then data scientists. Yeah, and data scientists and data analysts, and、uh, I would say data scientists is only small position within the whole project. And、uh, we we have had this talk forever, right? That that、uh, and, and this is the misconception. Data science. Get yourself a data scientist. You don't even know the description you're asking for from data engineer to data scientist, and they will. Fix everything for you? No, no, no. This is exploration or understanding sense making role, and this is fundamentally building very good tech. But very sophisticated feature engineering is one type of tuning versus data. You know, it's completely database. Yes, yes, I totally agree. And sometimes、um, it depends on how you define the feature engineering.、Mm. Uh, for example, whether or not you change the data source and uh, the uh,、um, assumption、uh, belong to、uh, feature engineering. Sometimes I feel like those are more efficient to improve the、uh, result of the machine. So the the learning. Sorry. Maybe to to close this rabbit hole on on、uh, to explore one last topic. So when you express yourself, when when you when you see yourself, your identity as a data scientist, what are the core i things that you want to be great at and that、yes. you want to excel at compared、gotcha. to the whole picture?、Uh, yes, 
I would say if I say that, maybe not uh, political correctly. I think it's uh, the passion to solve the problem. So problem solving is the first, and then you should understand the math and the statistic,、mm. and then you need to understand programming, have a certain skill of make things happen, and then you need to have the、uh, communication skills to express what you want to express and convince people to follow、uh, what you suggest. Uh, not but at least, and sometimes you also need a little bit like visualization skills to show in the right way. And sorry, I, can I、Go、take it? it? Yeah, because I, I, I'm very curious. Do you, is it usually like your work ends up in an insight that you need to present and visualize, or is it sometimes that your work ends up as the starting point for something that then an engineer takes over to put in production? Is it is it both, or are you more on the insight place, or are you sometimes in the exploratory phases of something that the machine learning engineer takes over? I don't see any conflict between no, two scenarios. No, I so I, I think I was curious. Are you working with both, both scenarios? You work. That's what my I question. I think everyone with both. First, when you、uh, explore the models, you have to explain why you choose A, not B,、mm. and you need to present the insights. And then the end product is actually the model you need to prepare for the engineer to scale up. So. Good. So what we are now talking about is the life cycle of the problem solving to take the idea to validate it to understand it, and then you come to the topic: how do we productionize this? How do we operationalize this? Is that fair? Yeah. Good. Then I get it. <laughs> If you were to set up a team that were to deliver a new recommender system.、Oh, good. For something, and you need to have a set of competences、uh, and roles in that team. How would you set that team up? I would say it must be cross-function if I can, and also I want the real salesperson in my team, and also the so-called、uh, industry expertise actually understand the product category.、Um, I suppose we recommend a physical product, right? A physical product. Physical product. Instead of service, or because I was thinking recommender system, like proper recommender system、yeah. that is. Yeah, we'll recommend、online. something really tangible instead of like、um, oh, experience. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm a recommender system for、um, trousers. <laughs> If you want to build a service like that, how、yes. would you build a team that can deliver that kind of service? So we do need someone actually in the shop to understand the、uh, customer. We need to have someone understand how we craft the.、Uh, Or categorize different uh, different uh, trousers.、Mm. At the same time, we need someone have really keen like pro- problem solving、um, uh, intention to actually translate some like、uh, business problem into、um, data problem. For example, if you choose a pure engineer or a machine learning engineer to dealing with this.、Um, Uh, problem. Maybe they want to tuning the、um, the machine to most accurate recommendation,、mm. which means they only recommend replenish product,、mm. which means it's not fun. But if you actually from sales perspective, what they think is、um, how we can associate. How can I sell more to you?、Mm. So.、Uh, And they try to have their intention to understand、uh, what you really care and、um, what kind of culture you like and blah blah blah. And if you take all kind of、um, into consideration,、um, then 
I would say that could be better. At the same time, if I want to have the team, I do need to have a really good engineer and uh, architect in the team to understand because this recognition system should be edge computing or whatever, and how the response, uh, like uh, uh, the, the speed of response. Mm. So, yeah, it's hard. Um, but but I. I I'm interpreting your answer, Celine, yeah. that, that you're actually talking about the ideal picture as a fairly autonomous team in one area. Yeah, yeah. Is that what you're saying, right? From yes. uh, I need a domain expert. I need the understanding of the opportunity of the, you know, the business thinking, the category, really fashion, and how we sell at H&M. And then you need the people who can translate the problem and then you need the people who can build the model. But then you're actually thinking about all the way down to develop and maintain and operate the recommender feature going into the larger, I guess, website or something like that. So yeah. an autonomous feature team around yeah. this recommendation. That's true. That's how you see yeah, it. Yeah, and you actually mentioned more. For example, I'm only in proof of concept stage. So uh, I didn't really bring uh, the part who actually build the bigger platform, who actually identify reusable component, who actually doing A-B testing, and then how to Should you to have that? I mean, like because, because yeah. it's an open question. You Because you can say, oh, we want to have, this team is only doing that, and then they hone over to this team. Or do you, want, do, 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 do you think the vision should be more autonomous? Um, I would say like, um, uh, if myself, I would say I will not think too long ago. I think that I, uh, too long uh, in future, that's agile because if I don't even have a small product, uh, I, I don't really have at that stage to scale up. So I probably, I should think about them in my back mind, but I, I don't prioritize them. But if I'm actually a company have some, already productionized um, mature product, then the second part should be the most focused because you can uh, make scale up more quickly or scale up and scale out. out yeah. yeah. But but then it's in, in, interesting that, okay, we start now and we start here, but as this matures, we come from validation to deployment to scaling topic, and then the team needs to grow to the autonomous team maybe. Yes, and it's evolving, uh, yeah. evolving. Yeah. For example, maybe at the beginning you have three data scientists and a one or two data engineer, but in the future, in the mature production size, I, I should see, as I understand, at least two data, uh, one data scientist need to have two or three data engineer to, including machine learning engineer to interact with. So it will be more engineering focused. That's why, um, when RT was mentioning this, I feel like it's so wise because I didn't think from that perspective at the beginning. I'm eager to go no, further. You need to go now because <laughs> I, I don't even bite my tongue. Anders. No, you I go know. nuts. You no, go nuts. Nah, you, sure. you, because it's a great topic. Come on. Mm. I mean, a, a question can be uh, how you build a product like this. And I think you mentioned that there is like some kind of life cycle where you start in a certain point and you change the way the roles are, you know, composed in a team in some way. Um, how would you prefer, if I give two scenarios, which one would you prefer of these? So one scenario is you have a set of data engineers, they do model the, pro um, the problem a number of times and they try to find a good working prototype perhaps to, to make that work. 
and they come up with some solution and they later try to productionize it and put it in production. Another scenario would be that you just have a single data scientist uh, and they put it in production very quickly and it's horrible, it doesn't work. But you then iterate a lot of times and finally you get, end up at some point. Which one of these two do you think is preferred? I would say it's, uh, both are too extreme. Yeah. Uh, something between, but I understand your point is it's definitely an iteration. Yeah. Uh, and you definitely need to allow people to make mistakes. Uh, it's like our child. I would say watch my son uh, growing up. It's a great help to let me understand how machine learning. So mm. I will not tell my son says um, you, you have you. So I I I want to tell my son you shouldn't do A, you shouldn't do B, but he will not be listening until the time they put B and they find out he got hurt. Exactly. Yeah. The things the same for the machine. If you not let machine try different angle. They don't know where to look. Mm. So, yeah. So, um, would that mean that... Oh, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to avoid say, say, saying leading questions here. No, don't. Don't <laughs> on this. I um, don't. I don't. But cool. Okay, so there, is, there could be a point in trying to put something in production as soon as possible, or at least get some kind of feedback quickly. Because I think you said in the beginning as well, you shouldn't just measure accuracy of a recommender no. system, right? Yes. And wouldn't that be what happens if you just, you know, have this kind of big cycle in the beginning with data scientists and they can't really measure the performance of it? Or Yeah, that's why we need the uh, uh, business expert. So the but first... Can that help? Yes, yes. For example, um, we developed some product at the beginning. We don't have the A-B testing platform. Mm -hmm. The things we can do, the first test is ask expert whether or not it makes sense. The second one is we can choose someone within the company we send out to try out as they are the customer. Mm -hmm. And the third one is actually we scale out and we choose certain sampling, write, A-B testing and do. So asking expert is also one of the A-B testing as I understand. Good point, I agree. What is the role of the expert? Is that the data scientist or who is, what, what's the name of the role of the expert in such a scenario? You mean the sales, uh, the, the yeah, fashion expert? Her, please answer. <laughs> <laughs> it depends on what problem you want to solve, right? So if that is a logistic uh, problem, then you probably need to answer the warehouse manager. Uh, if this is the uh, marketing problem, you, you probably need to ask a marketing expert so yeah cool cool should we end the topic and go back perhaps to uh, yeah back whatever? a little bit to exploring um, broader H&M I mean we we mentioned that you started at H&M and um, you met Arol etc and you got started there what was your initial kind of jobs what was the initial thing you got started working with uh, so I was placed, uh, so I would say like, uh, if you treat, uh, H&M is so big. So if we chop it into four different, uh, section along the value chain, the first one is a design and then is sourcing production and then customer fulfillment and then customer side, which all sell. Mm. I'm in the second part, which is sourcing and production. One second, what was the name? So sourcing and production. So, so sourcing, sourcing, sourcing and, and the production. And yeah. uh, one thing is, um, HM doesn't have their own manufacturer, which is really smart, light asset. Mm. 
However, we have a lot of supplier to help us to make uh, the the product. Nice. So that department we call it sourcing yeah. and production. So can you just explain what sourcing does more exactly? So, for example, like um, um, demand planning. For example, we will have to assume in what material or in what uh, product category uh, next season or next two season how much we need to produce and where what kind of material we will use and where to buy those material and uh, which manufacturer we need to choose to produce that material nice. at the same time how we actually check all the quality of the material um, and then um, Yeah, how to like control the quality of the whole whole. Awesome. Can you do that in a data-driven way somehow, or do you need to manually inspect everything, or how do you actually do that? In short, been the secret, but uh, I would say it's uh, currently uh, combined. Yeah. Uh, I'm. I think um, no company can see everything is purely data driven, mm. uh, but we do use a lot of data and we try to. Um, leverage uh, the data we have to nice. make more easier or uh, accurate decision. And I believe um, th there are two dimensions here. Mm -hmm. um, some decision, maybe they're not right and wrong. It's just complicated. Mm -hmm. And uh, for that one, you should always have the human to have the final call. Right. However, human in the loop all the time. Right? Yes, mm -hmm. but however, uh, if you calculate the complexity of the decision, if the decision can be really simple to make, for example, simple comparison, but just have really big calculation, then those things it should be belong to a uh, machine. Mm -hmm. I don't even call it machine learning. It should be the automation. Yeah. So, so you're talking here about the importance to really boil down to in all the complexity, what is the machine good at and what is the human good at and how do we maximize the leverage and value from the two different, you know, how do we make them coexist or yes. how do yes. we make them one plus one is three? Yes, yes, because the original idea to make machine is people uh, are, um, are lazy. They don't want to do this uh, rep repetitively work. So, yeah. And, and, and could you give us an example within this area where you right now intuitively think this is more of a machine problem and this is more of a human type problem? You, you, you mentioned yeah. all the different questions. Yeah. Yeah. And if you break them down, where, where is the machine problem and where is the uh, man, man problem? So, uh, for example, if we talk about purchasing, mm -hmm. uh, if we need to evaluate different supplier according to region, price, material, loyalty, and uh, uh, quality perspective, um, when they, uh, we know the single rule for uh, two or three different uh, supplier only need to compare one thing like uh, price, like single comparison, then let machine do. However, even an expert, sometimes they can give different weight between loyalty, quality, region. So right. this kind of things uh, maybe need to have a little bit like more thinking. Awesome. Awesome. 
So you are you still working at the same the same department or have you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm still working in the same department. Yeah, yeah, awesome. And uh, a little bit, how is data science organized within this section or this? Good question. Yeah, uh, we we are experiencing some reorg. And uh, we have our uh, independent data scientist organization and um, uh, four lead data scientists in different uh, domain we call like... Uh, Domains within sourcing and... No, uh, domain, uh, sourcing and production is one domain. Customer fulfillment is one okay. domain. And then cost, uh, and uh, customer is one domain. And one more domain is research. So we also combine with the future sort of research is not so close to production. And the uh, uh, four of the lead data science report to the head of um, data scientist of the group, which is uh, Bion, uh, has Bay. And um, then for our, we have different type of product. One of the product is operation by AI foundation, which is close in um, uh, data scientist. And the other one is we send the data scientist to the Bins Tech production team to help them to build one part of their product. So some, some of the product is just a one single algorithm within one machine and we don't even have the, uh, like interface, but it's actually running a uh, backend. But some of our product is end to end. So. Um, so I'm trying to summarize. So I did I understand it? So within the data science team, like core offerings, sometimes you have within from a data science perspective a an end-to-end -end offering yeah. in in one use case. Yeah. So you own a use case one end-to-end. -end. Yeah. And then sometimes there is there is a system somewhere who needs an algorithm embedded, yes. some, something like this. Yeah. And here that's another part of your offering to help with that embedded algorithm yeah. in a larger system. Yeah. I love your summary. Yes. Thank yes. you. <laughs> and this is only one part. Uh, we also have the mission to educate the mm -hmm. whole organization become more data driven. Mm -hmm. uh, at the same time, uh, we also think uh, recruiting people is good, but maybe reskill people also uh, also should be a better option. So we also try to educate or reskilling people. So, so this is your mission then is a couple of facets. Yes. Yes. So the first part when we talk a product is just execution. Mm -hmm. And then we'll talk about uh, education. What about change? Are you part of the change or someone else driving the change or education is part of the change? I would say uh, education is part of change and we actually drive the change. As we say is not only from H&M, but for X Johnson, I learned from my boss is uh, you only spend 30% of time or energy to build the product, but 70% of the energy you spend is about user mm. adoption. Yeah, only you. when... <laughs> the end user start to use the thing you built and change their way of working. Henrik, you have to stop putting no, no, words no. in our mouth. No, I don't. I, right? I, I, just, I just want to make sure that... Oh, Contain yourself, man. <laughs> I'm not putting words in her mouth. Yes, you are old. No, no, no. I'm showing her that I'm with her okay. all the way. Okay. And I know... Good. Yeah. I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. No. I am, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Still love you, Eric. It's good. Cool. Um, okay, so organization is, is grouped in that way. Um, 
but you also have like engineering teams that need to build things. Can you mention a bit, you know, how data scientists are grouped together with engineers and, and these kind of how the teams are structured? Yeah. If, you may? if that is the end-to-end product team, we always have a product owner, data analyst, uh, machine learning engineer, uh, and a data engineer, and data scientists. They work together. Okay. And uh, from data scientist organization, now we try to lift up for each uh, product. We need to have a lead data scientist or say the data scientist competence lead to actually help the tech direction for this product in future. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that lead data scientist is not part of the team? or it, It's it? part of team. Okay. Uh, he or she need to be hands-on. He mm. or she need to be in that team for at least a half year okay. to understand the product. Instead of we hire and tackle mm. to lead different product, we feel like the one actually built the product should know the product better. So right. uh, if we can give he or she a little bit more coach or discuss, they could be better person to lead the product in the different di- direction. Mm-hmm. So, And that team stays uh, yeah, with more or less same, the same people as it starts to move into production as well? Or how, how does it evolve over uh, time? So yes and no. If this already um, built for an end-to-end product, yes. Mm-hmm. But we also have exploration team. We yeah. also have a research team. For those uh, projects, mm-hmm. then we actually have the exploration, then the handover, and then we move to so-called reorganize and production team. Yeah. Normally, we hire new people to... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Can you mention the research team a bit more? You know, How is that structured? What do they do? And uh, yeah, 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 we have quite nice. Uh, we we have both research team and exploration team. Oh, it's it's a little bit different. Oh, okay. So research team, we have this um, uh, called uh, internship program with KTH with Arbaru University to actually get the uh, college student in the end of their study mm-hmm. to have three months internship within H&M. Mm-hmm. And uh, it depends on at that moment what uh, business actually want to explore, what direction we actually have new. For example, now we're really into uh, this um, image recognition. So mm-hmm. one of the team really, we, we even have a product called uh, H&M2Vec. Oh, really? That's yes. cool. So it's continue developing. And uh, we try to use that in future to improve our recommendation for our recommendation. And you said image to VEC, right? And, and for people that don't know, there is this very famous word to VEC that's been around since 2014. But image to VEC, if you were to explore or just explain that a bit more, how does it work? If you could. Yeah, uh, in the simple word is... Um, if you ch- okay, so if you treat the image as three dimensional or four dimensions thing, and mm. you try to smash it into linear, no, a single vector, right? <laughs> single vector. Yes, I, I think this is a lousy example. No, no, okay. Yeah. So um, basically, it's um, uh, dimension reduction, uh, or put this way, uh, if everyone know uh, BCG matrix. Uh, Which one? B- BCG matrix, uh, like consulting firm. Oh, they okay. always use a two-dimension uh, matrix quadrant to describe things. Right, right. And this is the simple way for uh, word to vec. Mm. 
It's just that they have two dimensions and VAC only have one dimension. So it's like a feature embedding or something. It's like a representation in numbers yeah. that represents the image. Yes. And you can use that for what later or how? Uh, different things. Uh, the first thing is uh, you can actually doing the text output, which is if you see an image, you can output identify what things actually inside yeah. and more input, uh, like more deeply, maybe you can actually identify the different card different silhouette, different oh. color, different material, and output a string. This is only the first step. And then based on the string you output, you actually can classify the product into different one. And more advanced one is if you have multiple item recognition and you know the combination of that work well, and then you can give the uh, recommendation because currently most of the uh, recommendation is based on so-called the uh, point of sales data, which is you buy together. Mm. But sometimes you buy together, you're not compared, like dressed up together. Yeah, right. So if you actually can uh, identify the combination within the picture, mm. then uh, it's have much better chance to more professional or yeah, fashionable. Yeah. More relevant. I mean, like this, this was meant to work together. This is the uh, outfit for the New Year's Eve. Okay, so we have the black dress, we have the... We then have we, need, we also need to identify the background. Yes, yeah. good point. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess this is mainly like product images, so they're really clean and perfect pictures of products, or is it also other images? Yeah, or? we also have the model images, um, oh, okay. because the fashion is a big industry and we need to look at each other. Mm -hmm. At the same time, we have this fashion blogger, they try out. Mm -hmm. uh, at the same time, from my perspective, I, I feel like if you feature fashion, a product um, mm -hmm. category is only one dimension. Mm -hmm. And two more dimension, one is actually your body shape. There are different mm -hmm. cereal, but I'm fan of this five body shape um, cereal. Mm -hmm. So, which means certain style of clothes will composite you better. For right. example, like me, really uh, small, girlish, not really curving. Mm. So I couldn't wear this really long, flowish dress. It will drag me down like yes. I'm wearing my mom's dress or something. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, this is a body shape, is my understanding. Yeah. This is second dimension. The third dimension is about individual um I would say either you see it's persona or personality or uh, self-expression, self-image or community engagement. Uh, it's about how you want to express yourself. So that is more wide uh, sort of dimension. You actually can use like a few music, uh, some region to actually identify some. We're still in the exploration to understand how we can reduce the dimension, but yeah. still uh, make it more accurate and actionable to, to predict. Yeah, yeah. And we, awesome. uh, we, we assume uh, for a person, the easiest way to predict is this uh, community engagement because it normally lasts for three or five years, not change. Mm. So this is way deeper than just the clothing attire is because fashion then goes into society and culture and it goes into what is trending at a certain time, you know, so if you really want to understand not only 
the past, but to predict the future, which is almost impossible, you need to look at other things than. Yeah, in, I mean, like the prediction is is not is not so easy here. No, no, I would say uh, prediction for me is um, normally you use the historical data to predict something, not change. But for the things always evolving, always change and uh, random things, maybe it's not a good approach to predict. No, and th- but let's not move there yet because this is another. This topic. is a huge topic. Yes, um, we perhaps we can just move back to image to vec. And yeah. uh, if you are allowed, c- could you describe a bit more how it works? How um, do you design it? May- maybe uh, not yet. Ah, okay. uh, in in that sense, so yeah. Okay, I understand. Cool. So that was the research team, and they are looking into these kind of things, right? Yep. And it is mainly internship people, or do we have full time employees we have, as well? We have uh, we have full time guide uh, guide. So we have a lead data scientist there to okay. guide, so not only from like topic perspective, but also to from the ca- uh, code quality, mm-hmm. way of working, like unit testing or setup, everything. So we uh, quite formal. So. Mm-hmm. And the exploration team, what do they do? Uh, exploration team is uh, sort of um, because currently uh, the data scientist um, resource within organization is so limited. So if the new requests happen, mm-hmm. probably they don't really have the capacity to do that. So for existing product or for higher prioritized um exploration, but more close to solving a business problem, then this go to the exploration team. Or we also have a program called uh, Data Translate program. Uh, okay, Data Translate. Uh, or Business Translate program, So, oh. which is reskill program, which we really want our uh, product owner really close to understand not only business, but the data itself. Uh, so we try to, and also, Closer, there are communi- communication gap mm. between the business talk and engineering talk or data scientist talk. This is a classical moment, uh, catch 22 that we speak about. You know, we often speak about this that we have the business people that understand the domain and are experts in that, but they don't understand the tech. And then you have the tech experts and they are experts in that, but they don't understand the business. So if they, if it just the tech people drive something, they will go in a certain direction. Yeah. If it just the people or business people drive in a certain direction, they will go, but don't really know what the possibilities are with the tech. So you have this kind of catch 22 in some way. And it sounds like you're trying catch to. 22. Nice name. Yeah. It, but then by actually trying to make the business owners understand the data, as you said, you can potentially avoid this kind of problem. With but this catch um, business to data and analytics translation. Blocker is, uh, I, I said it at some point in Vattenfall, I, someone asked me up in very high up, so, okay, Henrik, what should we work on? And I, I, I and he's, he's, he took me on the spot and that's mm-hmm. the main thing I could think about is like, well, this all starts with business to data translation that in order to, you know, and how, you know, we can talk about many ways to do that. Education is key, of course, T-shaped people <laughs> is key. Uh, but, but it starts with that problem, right? Because before that, the demand will not happen or, you know, exactly what Anders said. So I, I think this is one of the key topics for, at least for the companies growing up from an analog proud history, uh, if they want to go in this direction, if, if you want to become an engineering company, like we're talking about, yeah. Or tech company. Tech company. <laughs> 
Yeah, tech company is a bad word. Yeah. I mean, it's a tough journey. And I think a lot of companies want to take the journey to go from a traditional company to become a digital and data-driven company, right? How is it going so far, you would say, for H&M? I would say H&M quite wise. Uh, we going not so fast, but mm. steady. Uh, yeah. That's what I think. Uh, if compared to H&M and X Johnson, X Johnson involved much faster. But uh, in that way, uh, because they have small different groups, so they are not need to integrate with each right. other. But within the uh, HM, we need to think think big. So <laughs> for the future, how different systems connect to each other, because there are a lot of dependency. And we try to find a reusable component from existing product to make things happen more quickly. Sounds great. Should we move to the fashion topic, perhaps? Uh, I, I think so. There, there are many angles here. Um, maybe I can set it up. Yeah, please. So, I mean, like, and, and, and this is, of course, on, on your input, Celine, uh, really wise. So how do we predict fashion or can we predict fashion or we should we even look at data science to predict fashion or what is your view on this? Um, for myself, I feel like uh, fashion is art. It's not predictable. And it's really depend on how you define uh, the fashion. If you define the fashion as a trends, then trends can be predicted. But what, what I think is um, maybe what uh, um, we can do better is actually look at the Vogue magazine, look at all different designers, and try to identify the single component with their newest design and translate directly back to our production. And then we will have enough time to have this production time and have the customer like purchasing a curve to catch up. Uh, otherwise, I feel like uh, currently most say um, a trend, uh, fashion prediction is more about um, uh, they look at the Instagram blogger, uh, they look at uh, Facebook, they look what already trending. Mm. So we're talking about if we have longer uh, manufacturing time, we cannot just look <coughs> what already trending. That's too late. Yeah, it's too late. Mm. And and so, but what are you saying now is that you're trying to find proxies in terms of designers in Vogue or something like that, that or, or you know that they have a lot of this Pulled. is how fashion work. Yeah, yeah. So I, I feel like uh, on my limited uh, understanding, fashion is only from a small part of people. They drive it yeah. and they make it trends. And they make, why is fashion? Because they not everyone get it and everyone want it. Mm. So it becomes the trends. It becomes design. So it's not, maybe it's not predictable. It, just to feel like you have the other way to get the same result, you don't need to predict. I get it. I think I get it. But, uh, you know, I, I'm not a fashion guy where I don't, you know, use that much brand clothes, etc. So so I find these kind of trends as they happen a bit disturbing because it, it you know, in some way lures people to buy new clothes just because some small set of people, as you say, define what the trend or the fashion should be. Don't, 
do you find do you see a danger with that or yeah 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 we, we if from a hm perspective we try to make things more sustainable not only yeah. from a material perspective also the whole uh, recycle economy perspective but i w- w- would argue like uh, you present one type of person mm-hmm. the other type of person like me i have really low self esteem so the easiest so, way no, so <laughs> to make me confident is yeah. by something i think uh, my role model is wearing yeah, and it makes me feel like i'm empowered so and fashion actually is something that helps you in some way not yeah. it's not empowering you yes yes okay. i would say um, yes but uh, good. but uh, maybe maybe um, let's stay on this topic but uh, but uh, maybe as a sidetrack on the same topic yep. of how to predict trends and how data science and fashion really belongs together or how we should work, look at it if if we explore your personal background i mean like you you are actually you said you 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 developed a passion for fashion i mean like long before you entered into so you you came into a dream job in a way yeah yeah no yes So I what's the background with fashion for you? Like how how did you explore that from a, a small girl in China and or whatever all the way up? So um I would say I was a little bit nerdy uh, in my early age and uh um before university I don't even know what is the fashion magazine is and uh, uh it was I there there was a guy actually teach me how to <laughs> how to put the sun cream on <laughs> and uh, how should i cut my 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 hair it's feel really annoying mm. so at that moment i start to mm, start to learn more so do you ma- do you remember that the, 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 you you found some sort of okay someone sort of showed showed you first first time at some point the fashion magazine and you sort of got sucked into it and wanted to learn more i guess yes yes And I would say it's maybe a little bit rebellion. Uh I'm from a family have all of my parents are professor. So they don't allow me to touch any makeup uh and uh, any kind of dress up. So at that moment I was I feel like I I can be different maybe. That was at one point. But c- because you said that before so for you fashion is is quite much deeper because it's about self expression could you elaborate on that uh, yeah um i i feel like uh, at least um my chinese education for me make my self esteem uh, quite low i constantly try to find approval from the crowd so i sort of um urgently really want to have something i can depend on which it cannot be myself So the easily is if someone give me credit from appearance, yeah, that's perfect. Mm. Um, so, but I, I don't buy that because I think it maybe started like that. But now I think when you're a woman of, of your, you know, of your professional stature, I think it evolves that yep. you are now knowledgeable about fashion. So now you're using it as an identity marker. You know who am I? Even more, would yes. you agree with that? Uh, I Because agree. And uh, so the, the other dimension th- is um, at the beginning, I try to make people, other people like me. Okay. But now the fashion for me is I make myself like me more. So at the beginning, I show to the other one. Now I just try to show who I want to be. Exactly. So before you you can use fashion to try to fit in. Yeah. Now we can use fashion to express. Who I want to be, who my identity, true identity is. Yeah, 
You're much better than me to elaborate <laughs> what I think. No, no, no. I'm a sales guy. I'm putting in people, <laughs> words, words in, in people's <laughs> mouth. That's what I do for a living. That's great. Okay, so it has its purpose with fashion uh, in short, and that's great. And um, certainly a lot of people is super passionate about it, for sure. My girlfriend included, <laughs> unfortunately. But, okay, so what do you think about the possibility of being data-driven when it comes to fashion, is it possible or do you have to be manual in being able to understand or can you in some way try to automate? Yeah, yeah, it's a different dimension I described. First, if you, you can't cut fashion with supply. Mm. So all the demand forecasting or this forecasting is uh, possible. So yeah. demand, um, warehouse optimization and move, uh, root optimization so those things can and when we talk about fashion we still can entangle the trendy things and stable things for example i mentioned i feel like the third dimension is your community engagement and your preference maybe from day one you already feel like you are a, a little bit classy person mm. even though we have different definition of the classic in 1920, 1930, 1990, but you still belong to classy, this so group. It's the same personality that yes. you keep. Yes, yes. Yeah. We can predict this. Uh, Mega trend or this path. Your, your, your personality, but we can combine what is trendy at that moment and mapping up to you. Mm. So it's still something you can predict and something you cannot. Uh, no, but I think you're, you're entangling it. So if you try to do it, I'm going to predict fashion point blank, really impossible. But if you understand the proxies, the indicators, if you understand it on the deeper level, you can then, you can have predictors that holistically you can better understand the world and with human touch, maybe make sense of it all. Yeah, make human touch. Yes. Uh, for follow your this trends, I even think we shouldn't tell people where predict trends. We should position ourselves says we are professional for fashion so no matter which style you choose we can make you look best in that step nice. so nice. Uh, in your way we are not really intimidate says we know you better in our way we can sell you more things which you can try different things so that may sound very boring here and and um, speak from um perhaps yeah data science point of view but that means you can segment people and predict things from each segment um yeah you can describe that but from a good uh, purpose mm -hmm. for example i would say in in my early in my early age i don't know what i want even though i sense which group i right. belong to mm -hmm. these things can help people actually I don't know, I could say better understand yourself. So like you put the mouse in, <laughs> put a word in my mouth. So I don't, I feel like it's a guidance. It's, um, it's helping. Yeah, yeah. But still, if you still segment people and, and you know a certain style of personality that you have and these kind of soft attributes, uh, as you have called it before, how could you potentially automate the prediction of a fashion for that personality? Can you... 
can you find, can you automatically, you know, extract things from Vogue magazine? Can you look at the influencers? Can you look at, you know, can I you do it? I hope so. So I think there was two, two questions. And the mm, last, okay. uh, last one is hopefully, uh, hopefully in the future, you can actually use, um, um, uh, video, use picture, use whatever to actually can identify single component type as fashion in the runway shoe. And then uh, our designer can try to use those uh, abstract um, uh, element, combine, experiment, and uh, put into new product, and then uh, put on the market. Uh, so, so it's more, more about identification and get this time gap. It's like speed trading. Speed, what speed? Uh, yeah. uh, how, how to say that? Uh, the, um, when you do the um, trading. Yeah. Uh, high frequency trading. Uh, high frequency trading, yeah, yeah, thank yeah. you. Yes. Uh, when you do uh, the trading, actually it's because of the information. It's not about the prediction. So high frequency treating is have this time um, right. gap. Yeah. And I would say the fashion is also similar. Uh, and also something you don't really need to predict. You can ask. And as you said, we segment people, but people may belong to different segment. Right. That's why I said if we position ourselves, not actually state which segment you actually belong to actually say depend on your uh, uh, body shape and which style you're choosing. Maybe ABC you look best. Yeah. Then you actually can try segment A, try segment B, try segment C, but you still look best in that segment. Do you think you can do the opposite and trying to have like the picture of a person and say, you are this segment because of the body shape or something you ask the person or can you? predict the personality in that way? I would say somehow, yeah, agree with you. Some some body shape represent some kind of body shape. Um, however, I didn't do the um, e experiment, so I cannot say yeah, they are no, correlated. Uh, so from, for me, I still feel like personality and body shape probably is a different uh, dimension. Yeah. Uh, but it, it, it's a little bit like a matrix, right? So you have you have these body shapes, and we have these personalities. So this combination, you, you this personality and body shape, then you should really look at these clothes within uh, this uh, space. Give you a uh, not so appropriate uh, example. Two things. One is one blogger actually say like one personality. If we use feature attraction, we don't use personality. We use constellation which uh, for different, like you are um, Ariel, you are um, Scorpion. Yeah, yeah, Constellation. So Constellation. Yeah, I've got the man. Yeah, so um, if some, some blogger actually have this uh, sort of um, video says, if you want to be Ariel, you dress like this. If you want to be, <laughs> so the same person, same body shape. If you try different style, it's different. I still feel like style is not about a single item. Mm. It's about combination. Mm. So if you were to combine a set of features like body shape, personality, let's say you did some kind of personality test or something, 
and um, yeah, a lot of other features. Perhaps that could in some way identify or predict the the style of the person. Mm, yeah, if you assume the person will not change. But yeah, but if the person were to change, then perhaps one of those features were to change. So then you could actually yeah yeah I, I think yeah 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 I, I think uh, fundamentally in future or theoretically you can mm -hmm. yeah. and uh, everyone says a human is predictable animal so <laughs> <laughs> but, but maybe we can go here now as, as a little bit uh, a new theme mm -hmm. um, wh where do we think um, data and data science and fashion is going in the next five, 10 years. So where, where is the fashion yeah, industry going? And in what way will data and data science help contribute to that? Oh my God, it's <laughs> a really big question. Yeah, I is. think I'm not uh, at the position to say that, but I do have some wishes. Yes, let's be personal. <laughs> what, what do you wish for? Let's put it, frame it like that. Um, so, <laughs> so I would say like uh, the, the first things I want to say is um, it's if we're about fashion, uh, maybe the uh, machine learning or AI can contribute the most is about how to easy people the uh, decision making or their job. For example, we know uh, several things. For example, if you can make the design designers um, job easier. For example, if you the machine can recommendate different combination for a certain feature for the style and just let design to choose. And that is actually fast, uh, so, sort of accelerate the design. At the same time, uh, if the uh, data can actually help the value chain predict more accurate how many items they need to produce to which location and in what size, then we actually can reduce the waste and um, improve. So it's a win-win. Yeah. Do you think even it could go, I mean, if you take like music or movies, you know, things Spotify or Netflix, and they all personalize with recommender system or precision medicine, and you can have a personalized prescription and, and whatnot, do you think there will be a time where we have personalized clothes clothes being yes. manufactured specifically for you or something? We already have personalized oh, uh, clothes. Yes, that's oh. called Taylor. <laughs> 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 and uh, it's always about the balance between cost and the style. So more high-end, more handmade, they are tailored, yeah. but it's not cost-efficient. Yeah, right. So it's... It's just about balance. So, but so maybe the question is, can we get to a point that we at the, uh, the relevant price point and cost can almost pick and choose the whole thing we want to build and then just in time produce it? Hopefully, yeah. It's good thinking. Yeah, hopefully. And something already happened. So you have, the, you have, your, you have your Taylor, HM, HM Taylor. Yeah, Mr. H.M. Taylor or Mrs. H.M. Taylor. You go in and you choose. Fashion assistant or styler. Styler. H.M. Taylor, your fashion styler. That's okay, the brand. Okay, cool. Because I like that H. 
H.M. Taylor is like a classical Savile Row Taylor, uh-huh. right? Yeah, yeah. H.M. Yeah. H.M. Taylor, yeah, and then fashion styler. Yeah, and then you can pick and choose, you know, your c- categories and all this. You see you, you, your, your personality, your body shape, yes. blah, blah, and then you get some recommendations. And I think I want this. Yeah, but today I want it in bright orange, and you buy it cool. just in time. Yes, one week, two week delivery. Yeah, sounds great. That's cool, right? Yeah, that's so cool. Yes. <laughs> Could that be done? Yeah, I think so. Let's wish first. Uh, yeah, we are wishing now. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I already made the domain, so we're starting. H M Taylor. <laughs> H- I like. I actually like that name. Yeah. Several row. H. I, I think this is the trick, right? H yeah. and M is buying prime location. So when they start with this custom approach, they need to buy as uh, uh, one of those. Uh, um, what do you call it? Like. Uh, Shops or like uh, lighthouse shops. What do you call it? Kiosks. Uh, uh, no, no, when you have your showroom, like it's like yeah, a show, like like yeah, whatever showroom, showroom. or a drop zone, or yeah, yeah. So like a showroom on Savile Row in London, they have a small. You you walk in and you have H M Taylor. It looks like it look, looks like a tailor, but you yeah. go in and you you. Sounds great. That's a good marketing trick. Yes, I, I like we need to hire you. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Yeah, I like the the fashion styler. If you look at the, I think that ninety percent of the people they would like to have uh, um, advice in how to dress themselves. It's the same thing like you're going to a gym and you need to have a professional trainer to tell you yeah, how to. Yeah, gym. yeah, yeah, the same. Right, because everybody can go to a gym, but not uh, everybody can make a results in a very short term in a long term. Yes, if you don't have a personal trainer, so everybody would like to have like a personal shopper, like. Uh, you know, the, the, the celebrity have or, or a fashion styler in that. And even now when you want to have like, uh, if you have a beard and et cetera, you go to a bar or to a, what was? Uh, barber. Barber, right? Mm, yeah. So they style you, they make it actually really good because if uh, you're at home, you get this, nothing else like that. <laughs> so if you look at, if you, if we say like, if we, if we say naively that 90% of the people would like to have help with uh, fashion, then uh, automated or uh, AI driven fashion styler is actually quite a uh, good feature to have. It's also like uh, Spotify. It's a recommendation yeah. engine based on your complexity and your shape size. Because if you look, if you put majority of the people, you will get quite a lot of data points that in, with my pale complexity, this is actually not a color for me. There is nothing I think um, okay, of course, GDPR will come in there <laughs> and destroy everything. But in a, in a, in in, um, I would not say no to a, that type of a product because it's yeah. going to help me. As for example, yeah, I need to go to, I want to start dressing myself a little bit more sporty or a little bit more classy or a little bit more. I have a little bit extra money now, so I want to go into high fashion. Mm. What is uh, good for me? But this service, we IBM invented Watson. And now Wipro has, have you heard this one? This is a fun one. Wipro has homes. That's funny. It's almost like a steal, right? Mm-hmm. IBM watch on Wipro homes. And now we have H&M Taylor. Yeah, nice. <laughs> yes, I think I made a mistake today. Yes. I should have patterned that first and then speak out. Yeah. <laughs> I thought she was going to say, yeah. like, I did a mistake today coming to this podcast. <laughs> no, no. Now, Gordon has already patterned it. That, that yeah, thing. No, so no, it's, no, it's, it's that's what he's yeah. already done in com, you, point, com. et cetera, and all of this other things. Asian, Asian <laughs> 
Good. Awesome. Maybe maybe a new topic. Yes. Maybe moving broader or uh, you know I think there is so many Actually, topics. Actually I would like to finalize this while you were talking I was doing a little bit of research in uh, in a future of fashion and fashion forecast is actually one of the trends in uh, future of fashion, right? Uh, and especially I was focusing on on how people will purchase and consume fashion in uh, 10 years from now. So, but before I present that, what I found that uh, I would like to ask uh, a question. So if we look at the, and we did this last week, and I think that is a funny one, right? So if we look at how fashion will look like in 10 years from now, just a question, like if we close our eyes and in, you know, how this is going to look like. In the same time, how will customers actually consume and purchase clothes? Uh, that is my kid and your kid. Uh, actually buying this. Will there be a uh, uh, physical store or is going to be online? Will they purchase through Facebook? Will they purchase through H&M store? Will H&M has, it doesn't have to be H&M now, it can be whatever, let's call uh, H&M Taylor. Uh, <laughs> let's call it now because we started this. Um, will they be able to have personalized clothing? Will uh, this will be delivered directly to their homes or? How would that look? Just if we take like a couple of minutes to make, and this is a question for all of us because I think it's a very nice exercise. Maybe my answer will not relevant because it's more like a sci-fi. So if you have a material, they can directly change the shape, change the color, whatever. You only need that piece. And when you imagine, and it's just to become the shape they have and you just have it. And it's sustainable and it's tailored. And how you get those images, you can have HM Taylor to recommend you different combination. I like that. Maybe not 10 years, maybe 20 years. Imagine you don't even have to have, it's just a one piece and everybody has Google glasses in the future. So how they perceive you is basically on what you chose uh, that to be projected. Like an av avatar. So basically we all go around in white, white. The metaverse. Uh, one, one, metaverse, one, exactly. The metaverse. <laughs> the, so we're bringing metaverse glasses to the normal. So we, we, we only buy white uh, jumpsuits. And then everybody wears their metaverse glasses and projects whatever style you want. Yeah, that, that's also good as long as that uh, jumper wears <laughs> um, comfort. Yeah, I, I have a, I have another one, and I don't, I'm not sure where I'm going with this because we have we have the whole sustainability trend, mm. but but I am I'm a little bit nerdy when it comes to fashion, but recently. And, and I think it's even more in, into shoes, but to some degree also into some clothing fashions. I'm like, I'm almost like I'm getting into, I want to buy an icon and I want to buy clue, clothes that look cooler the longer I wear them. So if you, if you, if you, if you take some Silk. type, no, if I take an example of shoes, yeah, uh, I've been nerding down in Red Wing handcrafted uh, boots from America. Okay. Okay. And there, there, I mean, I, you know, when it comes to sneakers and boots, you know, you can go on YouTube and you can go nuts. So I, I ask anyone to Google Red Wing boots. Yep. Okay. And, and the key idea here is like the, the boots gets cooler, the trasher, you know, the longer you have them and they're really painful to buy. I mean, like they're sturdy, half craftsmanship, leather, la, 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 la. And basically you, you know, they look better the older they get. 
to me, that's a very sustainable. I mean, like it's because they're they're, they're patina, the, the, you know, the the way they're they are sort of shaped into a part of you, and you you put your scuff marks on the boots. That type of fashion, to me, or that type of I'm not I'm not here to buy. This is a bad business idea, by the way, for, for H and M, maybe. But I kind of like that whole sustainable, but actually. I find I, I'm starting no, to show icons. It's just a different business idea. For example, yeah. if we make things a whole ecosystem, yeah. for example, we will not any, so we will not charge anymore for if we have that one piece of the clothes, then the HM tailor will not sell clothes anymore. We sell the concept. Yeah. So it's still sustainable. So it yeah. depends on yeah. what you sell. Yeah. And uh, back to your question that shoes, whether or not there is one day the shoe is actually a well off, or n- never ever. What do you mean? Will the shoes someday well off? Yeah, of course, but I mean, but the, the difference is that uh, for the you know the, the the cycle of the shoe is not one year. The cycle of the shoe is ten years, and and they look the best just before they die. So basically, it's a little bit like okay, I'm, I'm starting to shop for icons. Yes. And I'm maybe even willing to pay more for something that will then last for 10 years. But or I'm actually passing over to your son. Yeah, I mean, like it, it, it goes into other fashion, you know, topics like or like watches or you buy, you know, different things that sort of the vintage. Yeah, that vintage, actually there is yes. like uh, like and I think to some degree in fashion, it exists. Right. You can buy a handbag and it's yep. like it appreciates in value. Right. Yes. Yes. Uh, so what do you think about that trend? What, 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 you know, because to me that a little bit uh, close also to the whole sustainability discussion to, you know, should we wear, will we in 10 years be focused on buying new stuff every month or do we want to buy icons? Okay. This is a big, also a big question, but I would say like uh, sometimes uh, good wishes is not equal to, um, uh, reality. No. Uh, what I mean is, if you want to use that pair of shoes, you need to have that amount of money. The same thing, if you want to have sure. a really uh, sort of lasting garment, for example, like uh, London Taylor things, they always have uh, some material folded in your sort yeah. of, in case you get bigger or get smaller, you can reshape it, still the same piece, but just, uh, but, but it costs a lot. Cost. Yes. So in reality, it's something that could be a trend that could happen, but it has a certain... Cost. Well, cost, or quite high cost to it, so it might not be a reality for the whole world. Yes, for the whole world, yes. That's but it's also point. not purpose of the fashion because you have, uh, what is that, autumn, winter fashion, then yeah. it comes summer, you know, spring, summer, and etc. So the fashion is actually going every yeah. six months almost. So if you want to wear shoes for six uh, years, seven years, I think that you're in a category by itself. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> with you as Wearing a, my <laughs> boots at the beach. Exactly. <laughs> so you're not fashionable anymore. You're just basically, <laughs> you know. Uh, okay. But it's a really good question. And I would say it's constantly debate in the industry. And uh, mm-hmm. I think until now, no one have really good answer to it. No, go ahead. No, no, you. <coughs> uh, I cool. think maybe we move, for, move should on. Should we do that? Yeah, yeah, okay, we should. let me find another topic. Okay, so I'm not sure if you do a lot of recruitment yourself or do you yep. work with that? Ah, okay. So speaking about that, you know, if you were to re- recruit people, perhaps data scientists, do you have any 
spe special tricks or what's your way of, of doing good recruitment? Yeah, I would say it's uh, one thing I learned from Axionsen is actually maybe the expertise is not most important thing is the dynamic with the team. Mm. So you have to understand the how this person will functional within mm. this team. If you do need a nerd or expert, try best to test their that capability. But it's sometimes you just need someone have this open mind, flexibility and quick learner and mm. It's it's really depend on who you want to recruit. So I'm a little bit against to use universal standard to have this um, role. It's always about um, matching still. So the last uh, um, interview should always be you meet with your manager, with your team, because for both sides, if this become a job, you work with them each other every day. You have eight hours every day together. It's like mm. you have to make yourself comfortable. Mm. And um, also from applier perspective, when they when, when people not get selected, stop to question it's your ability or capability. It's just not matching. Mm. But can you speak just a bit about how the process of recruitment works? In H&M, yeah. yes. Uh, normally, uh, it's really depend on the seniority level. If that is like a, a little bit like junior level, you just applied. We have a specific uh, system called Smart Recruit. Everything is on that because mm -hmm. it's GDPR compliance and mm -hmm. we we cannot accept the sort of CV by employee itself. And then after that... Sorry, uh, I didn't understand that. You can't accept the CV? What do you mean? So for individual employee, you are not allowed to keep the candidate's CV because okay. it's not GDPR compliance. It's Did they send it in themselves? I mean, we delete it. Okay. And mm -hmm. we recommend them to go to the system. Mm -hmm. Smart okay. recruit. Yeah. And then uh, we normally... And now is a little bit depend. Uh, actually, this is also like a regional different. Uh, the Asia Pacific higher and and yeah, right. uh, Sweden is still a little bit different. But the next step is uh, will be a screening test. Uh, at the beginning, mm -hmm. we use one um, one system. Now we try to switch so, sorry, to before you, go there, before you go yeah. there, so who reviews the CVs then? Or is that? Uh, uh yeah. CV review will be after the screening. Oh, after the screening. Oh, I see. Okay, yeah, okay so please. Oh, sorry. Please continue. So, okay, the screening, how does that work, the screening? S screening, we have the benchmark. If you pass a certain level, uh, you can get mm -hmm. into the candidate. So it's a uniform test that you make in some way? or uh, Yeah, we have a question pool from HackerRank. Yeah. And from, as you mentioned, they have different perspectives. So from SQL perspective, from programming perspective, from statistic program, uh, mm -hmm. and also machine learning perspective. And uh, there are certain percentage you need to get. Mm -hmm. And then for that part of people, and uh, the, f the, sec the next interview will be the... Uh, um, it's have domain knowledge HR person to talk to you. Oh. And then after that, we'll go to a uh, technical um, test. Mm -hmm. uh, it's normally a home test. You need to uh, first solve a problem, 
at the same time,、um, you need to present in the right way to right. convince. Is that a programming problem, or what kind of problem can it be?、Uh, it depends. It depends on which, which team you go into. So, some of team is about、um, to predict、uh, the forecasting. Could be the forecasting. Right.、Uh, some team also could be the classification. So it's 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 totally different.、Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and also sometimes we also use this.、Um, uh, Recruitment also give us inspiration. At least I'm doing that.、Mm. For example, if I have an emerging case for some natural language processing or recognition, or I want to abstract some information from complex organization、uh, structure from PDF, then I will make that as an、um, home home、uh, test. Yeah. Yes,、uh, that one I would say is not about your. Hardcore test is more about how you approach a problem and how you look at in,、uh, the the problem and、um, how you devote yourself、uh, to solve this problem. Because we had a lot of like uh, some some uh,、um, sort of、uh, interview have really senior people, and we find out they just follow the book. They're not really solve the problem, but they just follow the book and try A B C and D. And、uh, if Purely judged from code perspective, they are quite good,、mm -hmm. functionable、uh, code and everything standardized or whatever. But it's not solving the problem. Right, right. So you have to understand the the real problem, and and that、uh, is more important how you actually approach it. Than yeah, at least in H and M, we we、uh, really appreciate. And the other thing we really appreciate from H and M is teamwork. This is、right. not a joke,、mm -hmm. because we、yeah. had a really、uh, good candidate have really good skill for data science or whatever, but he is really proud, and we just feel like he's not fit. Proudness, as in、uh, egotistic or narcissistic in some way, or what?、Uh, um, that is a little bit extreme, but、uh, which means he or she try to criticize. Every suggestion from the other person,、oh, yeah. even though he says everything is right,、mm. right. But if you have this people、mm. in your team, how it works? Yeah, it would be a bad uh, like uh, attitude or culture in the team. Then you mean, or yeah, it's yeah. sort of yeah. 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 creates a lot of friction. Yeah, create a lot of friction. So how do you assess that? How do you assess if a person is good for the team? Yeah, for example, there are different things. For example, like、uh, acceptance,、uh, you can give some suggestion to see how they react.、Mm. If they are open-minded, maybe they will ask why you saying that. Or if someone really sort of resistant, they will definitely jump back and、mm. say, "No, I'm thinking blah 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 blah." So it's、right. still a different way. And also, we try to ask some question is, like,、uh, if in At this situation, for example, if you develop a model, but your stakeholder doesn't really accept how you behave, so some kind of situation simulation、mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, type of question, and、uh, to see how they react. Cool. If someone is very interested in joining H and M and they want to know how to prepare, how would you advise them to prepare? Or behave, or something. Yeah, I would say first go to our website to see our value first. I I feel like it's、uh, in my early life I did this 
cheating things to choose some company not fit my value. But in the end, I feel really uncomfortable. So one thing is to see the uh, the the website to understand the value, and the second, reach out to anyone you know work in the H and M to talk to understand how they're feeling, and then focus on the job description. Rephrase your um, uh, CV, whatever, to that job description, and pre prepare your skill to uh, whatever you are encountered to, and relax. If you fit, you fit. If you're not fit, there's something better for you. Yeah, and you should say, "I hate to code" as well, right? When you come to the interview. Yeah, I said that. <laughs> <laughs> Would you recommend that to other people? Or? Yes, if um, if it's true, <laughs> um, uh, it's also to some extent. I would say um, people have different preference. I'm a social person. I I like to engage with um, people, and my thought is not linear. It's jump. So, mm. in that way, for me, for coding is a little bit harder mm. than those people have really sort of restricted. Uh, Structured uh, mm. thinking and really can sit down silent programming. Mm. So I would say uh, programming will be a skill uh, in future. Everyone can, uh, everyone need. Mm. So I don't think this is a bad uh, idea, mm. but it's just a preference. Mm. Awesome. Should we move a bit more philosophical, perhaps? Yeah, th there's a, there's there's a couple of topics on the way here, and and it's. Semi-philosophical. Uh, um, it, it's more about philosoph philosophical mm -hmm. around data science. Um, how important is uh, to have scientific method to be a data scientist? It depends on how you define the scientific method. Yeah, I mean, like, let, let's try that then. How do we define that? Do you have a good way to do that? Or what's your preferred way? Mm. I would say if you really s problematic and also always uh, think the f final result, you could be a good problem solving method could be really scientific way. If that is the definition, then I would say data scientists need the skills. How would you define it, Andish? What, what is scientific <laughs> method? Yeah, there are so many ways to do it and so many bad ways to do it as well. But I guess one way is to say that you, I think the easiest way is to say what is not scientific. And mm. um, what is not scientific is very easy to define, I think. You know, these kind of people that have very subjective views and anecdotal evidence and can't really judge from a proper way why a certain hypothesis should really be true or not. So that's easy to understand. That's not scientific. If you then think the, the opposite way, if you do have a proper way to motivate why a certain idea you have is true or not, and you can show that with experiments or with data or some kind of theorem, and in that way be objective about you know why something is true or not, what really knowledge is. Because science, in my view in general, is about uh, building knowledge. So uh, the knowledge should be what's really true. And if you can find what's really true by having an objective viewpoint, then you have a scientific method, I would argue. And, and uh, in my layman's understanding, the, the back to university almost to try to remember this, 
I mean, like it, it, it's one of the core quanta of a scientific uh, method is that uh, you put up an hypothesis and then you find ways to reject it actually. Or you know, accept yeah, or reject. It reject should it. be a falsifiable method as well. I mean, yeah. I, I hate these people that say all these kind of uh, obviously true things. I want peace on on in the world or something, and you know, of course, everyone does. Or I want more sustainable. Or that's a bad example, perhaps. But it has to be something that's falsifiable. Yeah. If you see what I mean, yeah, I mean, like it's uh, falsifiable for me. It's like someone said to me, "If you if you can't put not in front of it, it's not a strategy." Yeah, exactly. You know, so uh, I want uh, I want to have good customer experience. Not uh, you can't, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, so so what I mean with that is then because when you when you go down that path, it, it has a quite profound understanding for how business needs to change in the end. Because when we are working with data and data and AI, uh, we are starting to basically, uh, assuming now we think a scientific method is important. In some way we have a problem. And when we don't know so much about the problem, we, we put up an hypothesis and then we try to prove it. And then we can iterate and make that sharper and sharper until we are, thinks this is good enough to put in production. Okay. Um, that is, in a way now, if we build systems in this way, this is hypothesis driven approach from, you know, from the fundamentals that you don't really know. I mean, like if I, if I compare this way of working compared to, I have a very clear problem, I'm an engineer and I'm going to build exactly that problem because it's clear. Then this one, you can sort of plan, you can scope out. This one you can't, it's, you know, you can only take it to the one step and then you need to prove the hypothesis and then you need to sort of, do I persevere? Do I pivot? Or do I abort? It, yeah. But I think you actually said um, a non-falsifiable statement, you know, is scientific method good? Yeah. <laughs> is it, or isn't it? Because of course it's good, right? Yeah. No, not if I follow a core business, they don't do it. Mm, well, Operate. I mean, co corporate doesn't fi f follow scientific method. They fo they follow hippo. Yeah, not all. <laughs> I don't think everyone <laughs> does that. I know, but so. I, but if if I take so. the extreme, right? If I if I take the extreme, that we we have we have built a, a a company around our human intuition, and then we have based on our human intuition, we have built things. I mean, like we have done trial and error. And here we're now coming in with, with data-driven approaches, which is sort of sometimes we are rejecting what the going assumption or going dogma is. And this is hard, right? It's hard in terms of I'm used to make decision-making based on my gut. Yeah. Okay. So I think there are some, there's a lot of topics here where I don't think scientific method is deeply ingrained in corporate business sure. on, on, a, on a daily basis. Uh, should it be? I mean, like the, yeah. the topic is, should it be? Yeah. I mean, okay, let me give an anecdote from Spotify times perhaps, and, and then we can switch the topic as well. But um, speaking about, you know, relying on A-B tests, for example, uh, you do a lot of A-B tests in uh, H&M, of course, as well. And I remember a discussion um, with a product owner, and he, he had a lot of, you know, domain expertise and he's been working 10 years with that type of thing and they changed some kind of feature just some user interface kind of thing and um, he was sure that this change would improve the user experience because of his 10 years of experience 
And then uh, they did the A-B test and they couldn't show it. At least it was like no uh, significant, significant effect. It's the same performance more or less. But he said, you know, um, it's just because the data is wrong. I'm still right. The data is wrong. And, and, that, and then they re- rolled it out. And actually it could be true because it's not easy to gather data properly. Um, but that's uh, like a, an example of potentially being non-scientific, I yeah. would argue. And, and but that said, having a lot of experience is still very useful and important. And data can't show everything all the time. I think that's one of the differences between the terms data only versus data first. So data only means that you only make a decision based on the data without even trying to interpret why the data says something. And that's really dangerous as well, right? Would you agree? Yeah, I agree. Totally agree. Mm. So you have to have a human component in it to try to understand what the data really means. Potentially it means something other than you think. And yeah, so that's what the data first, you you should rely on data, but then add the human aspect to it to have both the human expertise combining and interpreting the data before you make a decision. Or, Or like Lydia said, I hate data first. I love data informed. Yeah. A, no, but she's, I think she meant data only. Yeah, yeah data only. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Not yeah. data first. But, you know. Yeah. <coughs> but I, I, okay, so let, let me finish then the hook on this scientific method. Where there, <coughs> if you look at the traditional uh, industrial era, and we have been going uh, in, in a certain <laughs> way for many, many years, selling trucks, selling clothes, you can deal with supply and demand. Then you, you get into a mature era where you can plan things. Then you get into different types of disruptions. Um, like we have uh, black swan effects like uh, Corona, or we have a disruption in terms of the whole business model like tweaking and changing. And all of a sudden, the, you know, when you truly innovate, when you truly go into new territory, new business models, you don't have the data to plan in the same way. Uh, my hypothesis is you need to be hypothesis driven, or, you know, so, and, and the core fact is then if, if I look into a large, a lot of the large corporates, we are starting to work with scientific method in data science, but in the way how the corporate structures look like, how is the budget cycle looks like, is still a plan driven approach. And here we get now potentially a conflict between a steering model, which is supply and demand plan driven, going into a disruptive, maybe a new business model where, where this doesn't apply anymore. If, you, if you're a startup, you know this. I don't have any data, so I can't really, pri- yeah, I, I, can, I can try to go to the VC and tell them I'm going to have, I have no, I have zero sales and I'm going to now predict, you know. So hypothesis driven becomes really, really tricky in the, in the traditional company because it start, we need to then, how do we take that into our corporate structures and budgeting and steering? Uh, absolutely. I, there are two unlinked doubt. One is I have some reflection about uh, scientific. What well, one thing they say? What is science? What what is science is when you still feel like it's not it's true. It's not be um, how to say that. You cannot prove it's not true. Still, then it's still the science. But you cannot guarantee someday it's not will be proved not true. So mm-hmm. this is one thing I, I want to say. I don't know why. Uh, <laughs> and uh, the other thing, uh, go back to your hypothesis-driven. Dri- mm-hmm. Yes, this is like uh, investment. 
Yes,、um, exactly. So only when the disruption time, you can create the real market leader because there's high risk.、Mm-hmm. And when everything sort of planned, and when everything, how does it predictable? Everything、exactly. go to stable, and once it goes stable, then、sure. yeah, it's 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 become like either、um, some it it's really stable, which means it will not grow. It, it's not high growth, and high, yeah. you know, so from、yeah. a real you know lean startup, I'm like you you have passed the growth stage, you're in the mature stage, yeah, decline stage, yes, yes. So, so when you're working in extreme growth stage, when you're disrupting, then the planning models becomes more hypothesis driven. Yeah, I agree. Might, and I think this is sometimes a tricky point for a company that has been around for a hundred years,、mm. because the model has sort of over time matured to a mature stage, efficient type of budgeting、yeah. or planning. And now, boop, we need to pivot to hypothesis driven. Yes, that's why we so value the visionary people. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Society, right? Yeah, but I, sometimes great ideas, but you have a hard time to put that into the sort of corporate system. You know, speaking about visionary people,、um, some people like Elon Musk or Stephen Hawkins are really afraid about AI, and they say that AI could be the、uh, biggest threat to humankind. What do you think about a statement statement like that? Would you agree with that, or what's your thoughts about that? I'm agree. Um, um, a lot of things. I would say it's like um, uh, how to say that. We want to、uh, stimulate change, but normally after something changed, we cannot control the direction. So that definitely, I think that is the future, and I don't even know whether or not human. Is a machine already? We don't know. Will someone actually build us in some way? And、uh, you mean and we're living in a simulation, perhaps already? Yeah, or our system is designed by something, and they just want to do some test or something like that. So I, I definitely agree because a lot of things. I don't know. I think there's some、uh, TV series also talk about this. So、um, at the beginning, you. You want to create something to help you for some purpose, but in the end, you can't、uh, actually control where direction, which direction it's、yeah. uh, grow, and they actually make like kill you. So yeah, yeah. it's like cancer. Can be. So it actually was a story this morning in Swedish morning show,、uh, news morning show. About killer robots, for example, and drones,、oh, okay. etc., and things like that. So that's certainly one possible narrow AI, I would claim, dangerous direction that could happen rather soon. Do you see that as the only way, or I mean, you, I guess that, that could be a positive future as well.、Yeah. Or can you see imagining that AI becomes, you know, super intelligent, much more than humans? Do you still think there could be a positive future for the humans at that point? If we can make.、Uh, And not you think、mm-hmm. uh, if we can make、um, a machine have empathy, then we can have the chance to live together. But if we can only build the machine, no optimization, then normally we will extinct. I think so.、No. What's the most likely scenario you think that we have a negative or a positive future 
when we have. I super know I'm not a fiction teller, so I, I think anything possible. I know I just want to live every day and enjoy <laughs> every day. Don't think too much. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sorry for disappointing you. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. no, I mean it's a hard question. I'm an optimist for sure. Yeah, how? How? What do you think? Well, yeah, we, we said this a number of times. I, I think you know, as the as you become increasingly intelligent, you also, I would argue, become increasingly civilized. We can see that from the early days, like um, thousands of years ago, when humans were, you know, more or less living by the laws of the jungle to over the years becoming increasingly benign and empathetic and civilized. So if you think that be is because you have increased knowledge and increased intelligence, then you could make the argument that if someone has even higher intelligence than the human has, they should be even more civilized. And that could be a scenario that potentially AI of the future could be super benign and super civilized. And we don't go around killing squirrels. We don't go around killing ants. Why should we think that an AI would be interested in killing us? No, then it's it's just unknown, I would say. Yeah. yeah, I agree with you, that perspective. But I still have that hypothesis. It's not more intelligent equal to more empathy. They are also in this uh, uh, sort of cycle. If they can make the whole species always grow, um, then they will survive longer. So if empathy actually hinder mm. this trend, then maybe empathy, the, the higher intelligent uh, species will not have empathy. Mm -hmm. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Could be. Okay, let me ask you more uh, to yeah, real-time kind of question okay. then. Yeah. We are currently uh, working on a lot of uh, new regulation EU about AI. I'm yep. not sure if you heard about the new AI Act and everything that's going on right now, but it, it's going to be increased regulation regulation uh, surrounding AI, and that could influence H&M on rather short term as well mm. in, in what you can use AI for. Do you think that new type of regulation, have you read about that, the high risk kind of AI regulation thing? Yeah, yeah. We yeah. have a department uh, about uh, the AI um, ethic. So yeah. we have department uh, about that. Yeah. Uh, personally, I, I know little about it. Yeah. But do you think there is a need for that type of regulation or will it hurt H&M, you think, in the future? No, as you said, uh, if we want to be more civilized, that mm. is the necessary thing to 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 guarantee or regulate. Mm. It will hurt, but every grow, when you grow, you, you always get hurt. Mm. But if other countries like China or US are, are not having the same type of regulation, do you think H&M could be hurt by that? Because what of do you mean? Let's say a big um, company in US or China is um, is not having the same type of regulation that we have in EU, and then that potentially can make bigger use of data and AI than we can, and that would uh, lead them to have higher profits and produce better clothes and predict fashion in a better way and uh, create a better user experience. Could that potentially be dangerous for H&M? Uh, yes or no, it depends on how we educate our customer to prioritize what is important to them. Mm -hmm. 
So this still is a sort of buying market. So, uh, for example, um, in Sweden, more and more people become vegan. More and more people eat um, eco uh, mm. product, vegetarian and whatnot. Yeah. So what I mean is, this is not the best value or economic value for the people, but they think about something else.、Mm. Either their、um, ch- children,、uh, next generation,、mm. uh, earth, or identity.、Mm. So it's really depend on the priority.、Mm. So the interesting idea could be: we think it's important to do it to have, as you say, high empathy or benign AI. We need to go in that direction early, not to lose the battle. Before we it even started. Now, from a fashion point of view, it you know we could argue that oh that will be very negative for the companies that are restricted then because someone else is jumping ahead. But the summary is that well, that's why we we need the government to regulate, right? Yeah, we need that. But the, the problem is that we're regulating in one part of the world and we do it differently in another part of the world. But but if the customer is choosing. He's deciding with his money what he believes in. Echo.、Yep. Sometimes it maybe it that could flip its ugly head on the greedy companies. I mean, like you know, if if you have a, a trust in a civilized society, in the end you could have then trust in the consumer、mm. to, if they're educated, and we are now lobbying and you know this about education again. I would stop buying that product. Actually, I would stop. I would really stop buying it if I felt it was not really helpful. But it's a big question. Yeah,、so. if it's not helpful, sure. But yeah, would AI is AI as a technology by design malevolent? I think that's a big question that we need to think about. No, the, the problem becomes back to the whole regulation, right? Should we re- regulate the tech or、yeah. the application? Yeah. Yeah. Bottom that's, line, that's right? That's the core question. You understand the tech itself, or how we what its intended uses. I don't care what the type of neural network it is, but have you used it in a killer drone, or have you used it to you know recommend beautiful music? Same transformer. Should I regulate the transformer, or should I regulate the use? I, mean, I think another analogy: if we just you know try to regulate technology instead of the effect that something has, it's really dangerous. It's like you know. If you have a hammer and I hit that on the head of Henrik,、uh, which can be something I think about sometimes. No,、okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I need to. No, 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 I need no, no. to write to AO to ban hammers. <laughs> But then the question is, what should you do about that? Should you regulate not being allowed to produce hammers, or should you regulate not being allowed to hit someone on the head? Yeah. Right. Yes, hammer is dead thing, but the human is alive.、Yeah. It's just a technology to use、yeah. that. Yes, but it's the effect of using a technology in a certain way that should be regulated. I would argue. Yeah. Yeah. Not the technology itself. Yeah. Okay. I agree. Is that this is a bit sensitive topic for me? So yeah, I can no, speak I, about this for a long time. But I think but it, it requires deep knowledge. Actually, it's it's a quite simple principle. But it's you, you. You you go very quickly down a rabbit hole when you start regulating tech. Yeah, it's very dangerous, I think.、Yeah. And maybe one thing.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. Uh, one thing is, um, uh, if 
you uh, the the person hit Hendrik have mm. some brain disease, mm. and then they still from law perspective they are just behave like normal animals, so they right. still it's not educatable. So I would say it's really have a line there. It's it's uh, it's really hard to distinguish. Yeah, it is. And AI can be abused, of course, like killer drones, of course, yep. is, is something. But then it's the effect of them. You know, if you're not allowed to use AI to kill people, that's very simple. <laughs> yeah. Like, so then, the, so once again, AI in this application is not allowed. Yeah. In this right. application. Right. Good. I think we leave that. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. It's been, um, yeah, a pleasure to have you here, of course, um, Celia. And, um, Let's, uh, yeah, should we end with the, the normal thing or do you have anything else to, to bring on? Yeah, let's I mean, end with the last. I, I think we have the, we always ask the same yeah, yeah. two favorite questions. We, we love those questions. So, so just to end up uh, on a positive note, what is happening next in your life? You know, what's, uh, what, what are you looking forward to in the next, you know, couple of months or year or right now? Something um, exciting, something fun. Christmas. Christmas, yes. <laughs> yes. That's awesome. You like Christmas? Yeah, yeah. What about snow as we saw today? You like that? I like snow. Really? But when it's just snowing, not melting. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. The slush is not so, the snow is nice. Yeah. yeah and any, anything exciting happening in 2022? Something you're working on or something you're planning to do? That's a secret. <laughs> oh. after after work topic awesome. cool. cool anyone that you would recommend to have on this podcast that you would like to listen to potentially yes my boss um beyond uh has yeah right of course mm? yeah awesome uh, why he, is that by the way uh he has a great knowledge about how to build up and data scientist organization. I right. think from my perspective, I'm so a little bit like too hands-on. So my focus is still product, but for beyond is already uh, up to the system level mm. to how to plan for the future and how to plan for this society grow. And also he has intensive um, uh, experience from NASDAQ, from All financial right. um, institute. And uh, he know which point is good to control for what product. Yeah. So what question to ask? Right. Um, and also his leadership, I would say the same with RT and Arrow. Yeah. Um, it's really beneficial for H&M. Awesome. With that, thank you very much for joining us. It's been a true pleasure and we could continue speaking about fashion prediction, I think, much more. I would be much, uh, yeah, very eager to do that, but uh, it's been really fun. So thank you very much, Celine Shu. Thank you. Thank you, Celine. Thank you.